We are uh, we're starting a new series this morning, which you know is meant to be down at the waterfront. But part of uh, what we're going to be talking about today, and hopefully at the rest of the month when we're outside, is this ideas these ideas that have been developed about Christianity that that people believe about who we are or what we believe that aren't aren't necessarily true, but have a lot of resonance in popular culture. We're going to spend the next few weeks in this series we're calling You Have Heard It Said. And, and we're using this language because this is, these are the words that Jesus used in his Sermon on the Mount. Where when he was speaking to his, his Jewish audience, he was telling them, listen, this is what you have been practicing. This is what you've inherited as your faith and what it means to be God's people. You have heard it said this, but I'm telling you this. You have heard it said these things about Christianity, but we want to set the record straight of some things that aren't actually true about our faith that many people assume to be true. Today we are going to tackle this idea that we have heard it said that Christianity is anti-science. That there is this eternal war between science and faith. And we're going to look at this this morning. This conversation may make some of us uncomfortable. Some of us may be uh, ready to get up and walk into the room by the end of this morning, which, you know, that's less awkward when you're outside at a waterfront. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and it is okay for us to be in spaces where we hear things that make us uncomfortable that challenge some of the things that we have believed. And in fact, it's healthy for us to. It's kind of the point of this whole thing. So I grew up, and this is kind of telling my age, uh, as a kid in the 90s where um, Bill Nye the Science Guy was my hero. I don't know if you remember this show, but it was you know, this TV personality, which I was convinced was like this fantastic scientist. Turns out he only has an undergrad in, uh, in uh, mechanical engineering. He's not kind of the big PhD scientist that I thought he was. But the show was fantastic because it introduced me to this, the world of science and experiments and, and figuring out how, uh, how so much of the world works. Uh, it's the first place I learned about atoms, and I learned about, you know, if you add uh, baking soda and vinegar together in a volcano, it'll make a big mess in your mom's kitchen, and all of these kind of things. I was also a church kid who went to Sunday school every week, and, you know, like, from the get-go, I, I was the kind of kid who, you know, raised my hand and wanted to have all the right answers in Sunday school. And I remember telling mom one time in the car, uh, I remember telling her, I love Bill Nye the Science Guy, but he never talks about God. Like, the only thing that would make the show better is if he talked about God. And I have this, <laughs> I have this memory of one episode, I was like, oh, he's kind of talking about God there, where he was talking about how lightning works, and kind of the, the, the static charge in the clouds, and and how lightning happens. And he said, people used to believe that Zeus was up in the clouds hurling down lightning bolts. And I'm like, oh, that's the closest he got to talking about God. I didn't understand the tension that many Christians had between faith and science, probably until I was in youth group. 
I remember sitting around in youth group and having these conversations like, all right, what are you going to do when your science teachers start talking about evolution? Like, are you going to be a faithful witness and walk out of your biology class? Like, and there was like this idea, like, we're going to stage a walkout when it's time to, to talk about evolution. I remember my, my buddy, Zach, he's a pastor now in Toronto. He'll, he'll never listen to the podcast or hear this, so who cares? Uh, <laughs> I remember in my grade seven science class, uh, we, we were doing this unit about kind of the, the minerals in the ground and the formation of the earth. And uh, our science teacher was talking about how the earth was formed by the collision of these, these space rocks. And over time, gravity kind of turned it into a spherical shape and things like that. And, and it was in French. And I remember on the test, there was a question about that described kind of how the, the earth was formed. My buddy, Zach, you know, he described the whole process that she taught us. And then in French at the end, he's like, ha, that's what you think. As if, like, this is my Christian witness in my science class. In high school, I knew I was going to go to Bible college and pursue ministry and, and training for that. And so because of this kind of growing tension and, and clash of worldviews, I decided... I don't need a whole bunch of science credits. I'm going to Bible college. And so I never took high school biology. I took chemistry and physics, but eh, biology is not necessary. I can take other credits. I can take a free period if I want, as long as I have what I need to graduate and get into Bible college. So I am coming at this topic this morning not as an expert in science. My, my education is in theology and biblical studies, not in chemistry, biology, the, the kind of sciences that, that we have uh, this, these ideas of tension with. But I can't help but notice throughout my time as a follower of Jesus and in church culture that there is this assumption that Christianity is anti-scientific. Or this assumption with some of my friends who aren't Christians that, that believe that Christians, they just kind of check their brains at the door and don't want to do the work of wrestling with science and will just kind of blindly believe whatever is told to us from a pulpit in the, in the front of a room. That Christianity is anti-science and maybe that science is anti-Christianity. Maybe you sitting here this morning, you are like me, and you were the one staging the protest of walking out of biology class. Or you were encouraged to kind of be a witness in that way. Maybe you, like me, had the feeling of, oh, I don't need science in order to learn about life. Maybe you felt like you had to pick one. Like, I can only take the Bible seriously or take scientific uh, studies seriously. It's one or the other Pick or choose. Or maybe you're sitting here and you're someone who, who, like, you embrace scientific discovery and lean heavy into it, and one of your hesitations to actually commit to following Jesus is the idea that maybe I have to check my brain at the door and ignore the scientific process and uh, that way of viewing the world in order to follow Jesus. This morning, I, I want us to wrestle with this. But I want to propose that Christianity is not inherently anti-scientific. It is not. 
faith and scientific inquiry can actually help each other. In fact, we shouldn't always be in a posture of keeping the two separate or saying I have to ignore one in order to embrace the other. But the two approaches can actually help have a fleshed out holistic view of reality. So, why does this assumption exist that Christianity is anti-science? Where does it come from? Why do so many of us feel this way or have been brought up in places where we have to set science aside in order to be people of faith? I think one of the major reasons, and please hear this in the the most gentle pastoral way possible is out of fear. Fear that what if science proves the Bible wrong? Or what if the the study of the sciences leads my child or someone I love, one, one of my students who's now in high school, to distrust the Bible or, or to abandon the faith? And then we, we set up a paradigm because of this. Out of We don't want people to be led astray from, from the faith. And so if you're going to be a Christian, maybe just kind of take what your science teacher is saying with a grain of salt. Don't, don't fully listen to what they have to say. You either embrace what the Bible says or what your science teacher is saying. It has to be either a literal six-day creation 6,000 years ago or evolution over 14 and a half billion years. It becomes an either-or. We embrace one and have to completely throw out the other category. When we have a posture of fear like this, it makes us combative. When it is this or that, I embrace one side and never the other. We will always avoid what is being said about the age of the earth or the makeup of our universe. And don't listen to what science teachers say lest we be deceived. But hear me say this. Even though there is sometimes a fear that fuels this, this is lived out by many, many Christians out of a genuine act of devotion of, I want to follow God, and I'm reading the Bible, and I'm struggling to see how what science is saying and what Scripture is saying lines up. And because I love God and I want to be a follower of Jesus, I'm going to go with how I understand the Bible instead of this. For many, it is done out of the sincerest intention the embrace of one, and the complete removal of the other. But let me propose that this either-or perspective is actually counterintuitive to the fear that we might have. When we set up an either-or, an all-or-nothing, we actually set up our kids, our students, to distrust Scripture when they're confronted in school or university with the overwhelming scientific consensus. If it is, I have to trust the Bible and not agree with science, 
the minute science starts to become credible to them, then it becomes a, I'm, I'm going to discount the Bible when it's an either or. One has to win over another. We need to be careful that we don't build our faith on a view that we are winning over science. That our, our faith is based on a certain view of how the world works or age of the earth or makeup of the human body or things like that. Let me give you, let me give you a historic example. I'm sure you've heard of Galileo Galilei. He was a, uh, a scientist in, I think it was the, uh, it was, it was the Middle Ages. And it was right around the time of the invention of the telescope. And Galileo, he, he built this telescope, and when he looked up into the night sky, what he saw was the moons of Jupiter and saw that these moons were orbiting around the planet Jupiter. And when he published these findings, the church at the time took him to task because he was confronting the assumption that Christians had that humans must be the center of the universe. Like, we're, we're the ones that God made in his image. We're the ones that, that God sent his son, like, the creator entered creation on earth. So, so the earth must be the center of God's universe, and everything revolves around the earth. So to say that moons are revolving around Jupiter, and then the later discovery by, by Johannes Kepler that, that we're actually revolving around the sun instead of the sun revolving around the earth, challenged the scientific views or the, the views that the church held at the time. And the church was reluctant because they had built a theology of because we're so important in God's creation, the universe must revolve around us, which ended up not being true. Sometimes we build theology on these assumptions that actually aren't, don't end up being scientifically valid. And so when we build our, our theology on these foundations, when science begins to disprove those foundations, we start to question the theology, or we get very defensive about it. What's helpful for us in this conversation is to understand what is the place of science in a believer's life, and what is the place of the Bible in the life of a believer? I want you to know, first and foremost, I uphold the authority and the Holy Spirit inspiration of the 66 books of the Bible. I hold the Bible in high, high regard. And God has chosen to reveal himself to humanity in a time and place through the writings and words of Hebrew prophets, through his appearing to Abraham, through especially his incarnation in Jesus. But we need to remember, as we read the Bible, as we read this collection of ancient writings, that God was speaking to ancient Hebrews in their language. Answering the questions of ancient Hebrews. 
speaking to them about the world in a way that ancient Hebrews understood. Let me, let me say it this way. When God spoke through the prophets, when it was written down, Holy Spirit inspired by Moses in the first five books, God was not interested in communicating to ancient Middle Eastern nomads the intricacy of neurons and protons, cell biology, germ theory, etc. And so when we look at the accounts of creation, or when the psalm that I read earlier talks about God's glory filling the earth and and when we read about the earth being set on foundations, when we read about the vault in the heavens, when we read about this world that is described as created in Scripture, God is speaking the language of the ancient Hebrews. He's telling them, look around at this world as you understand it, and it's from me. I am speaking to you the way you understand. The question that ancient Hebrews had was who created. It was Yahweh, the creator. It wasn't Marduk of the Babylon. It was Yahweh who created as he spoke. Why did God create? He created out of love and to fill this creation with those who could be in relationship with him. He created humanity with this purpose to rule creation with Him in closeness to Him. Why am I here? To be in relationship with God. To enjoy and to fill His creation. To order it and subdue it and have dominion as God said to the first humans. Sometimes instead of reading the Bible asking the questions that ancient Hebrews are asking, we go to the Bible and we want to ask questions that 21st century kind of post-enlightenment minds are thinking. Sometimes we're going to an ancient Hebrew document asking scientific questions when those aren't the, the questions that are being answered. We want to know, okay, so how old is the earth? Or, what did matter look like before the moment when it all started? John Walton, who's an a Old Testament scholar and specializes in the first few chapters in Genesis, he tells this fantastic analogy of, of imagine you're going to a play. You're, you're going to the, you know, the Charlottetown Festival or whatever at the Confederation Center. You're excited to see this new play and there's construction on the Hillsborough Bridge, and so you're a half hour late, right? Because there's always construction on the Hillsborough Bridge. <laughs> and you show up, and you, know, you, you get to your seat, and you know, you're 20 minutes in or a half hour late or whatever. And at intermission, you lean over to the person next to you, and you, you tap them on the shoulder, and you're like, hey, so, so what happened? Like, where, how did the play start? And they said, well, the script was written in 1939 by such and such an author over in you know, the UK. And you're like, no, 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 no. That, that's not what I'm asking. How, how did the play start? And then the person sitting next to them said, oh, uh, I know, I can tell you. 
So the set was created by these artists who built it specifically for the Confederation Center of the Art. They're like, no, 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 no. That's not the question I'm asking. And someone else chimes up and says, well, the cast was chosen by this crew of, of all Canadian actors to be able to, and no, that, that's not the question I'm asking. You're asking the question, what happened when the curtain went up? Right? What part of the story have I, have I missed? Sometimes we are asking, or we are trying to find answers that aren't being given. Sometimes we are trying to ask questions that aren't the questions that the ancient Hebrews who were inspired to write the text were asking or trying to answer. Science is the knowledge of the, the, the structure and behavior of the natural world. It's the what of creation. It is the how was the set built and, and how was the cast chosen, all those kinds of things to use that analogy. How does this work? What, what, what are the microscopic and the subatomic particles that make up who we are? What is the makeup of the human cells and how do they multiply and how does all of that work? Scripture tells us, though, read from Psalm 19, that the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They, knew, no, they use no words. And no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. Or Paul in Romans, he says this, Speaking of the rightful condemnation of those who, uh, who are sinners, he says, since what may be known of God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his, his eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what He has made, so that people are without excuse. Science and scientific inquiry is the study of God's creation. It is the understanding and trying to make sense of the intricacy of the things that God has made. And through scientific inquiry, we can actually learn things about God. Theologians talk about general revelation and special revelation. That God has revealed things about who He is in His creation. And special revelation that God has revealed specifically who He is in His Word and in the incarnation of Jesus. We can learn about God from His creation. St. Augustine, one of the early fathers of the church, wrote that God writes in two books the book of nature and the book of Scripture. Science is how we study and learn from creation. And in that process, we catch glimpses of who God is. But there are things that science cannot teach us. Science cannot tell us purpose. Scientific inquiry can't answer the question of why am I here? The way that God's special revelation of you are created in my image. To know me, to fill the earth and subdue it. 
to rule with me over what I have made. Science can't answer the question of what is the purpose of my life. Science can't answer the question of morality, of what is right and what is wrong. How do I make sense for for my longings of things that are greater than myself? Science can't answer the questions of how do I overcome the sense of guilt that I have. We need both science and faith to have a holistic picture of the world. Albert Einstein, who was not a follower of Yahweh despite his Jewish heritage, he would probably call himself more of an agnostic, but he said that science without religion is lame. And religion without science is blind. We need both as a way of making sense of the world around us. Christianity. Our faith is the belief that the creator of this beautiful and complex and marvelous universe has chosen to reveal himself. Not just reveal himself through the complexity of his world, but to come in the flesh in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. That he spoke to humanity. That he lived among humanity. And that he actually died for the sins of human beings. So that those who he created could be in relationship with their creator. That he rose from the dead in order to give a new kind of life to those who would follow after him, a life that goes beyond the kind of natural world that we observe around us. This is where hard materialistic, naturalistic science has no no place for the resurrection. This is where a scientific worldview can't answer all the questions. What do I do with my life? How do I deal with sin? What is my purpose? And in order to have a full, fleshed-out picture of the world, we need to have a place for the supernatural, not just the natural. Not just understanding what's observable around us in creation, but understanding that there is something greater than what is natural that has been revealed to us through God. So does this mean that Christianity is anti-science? No. Because science doesn't reveal everything. And I would argue that the Bible doesn't reveal everything. To have a fleshed out picture of the world, we need to take both science and Scripture seriously. That is going to mean tension for us. Because we're going to have to wrestle with things of, okay, how do we make sense of the discoveries that are being made? How do we make sense of the tension of, well, when they say that the world is millions and millions and millions of years old and this doesn't line up with how I've read the Bible or understood it, we're going to have to live in some tension. There are going to be some lines that we do have to draw and say, no, we can't count God out of this. But let me, let me close with this. 
that for Christians we shouldn't fear the pursuit of truth. And as we seek to discover, as science continues to to discover and prove theories wrong and discover more and correct itself, which is the process of scientific discovery, self-correcting over time. We need to not be afraid to pursue truth because all truth is God's truth. If our God is truly the creator of all things, there will be nothing that we discover that does not ultimately lead us back to him. We don't need to be afraid. We'll be uncomfortable at times. We'll have to hold things in tension. We may land in different places of personal conviction than other Christians. Listen, I've read accounts this week of Christians who have a very kind of uh, scientified view of kind of the traditional six-day, 6,000-year-old creation. And I've read accounts and books this week of Christians who they, they have created a, an institute that studies the interlocking of faith and the, the classic understanding of evolution. Like there's a whole spectrum that we can land on. We need to be careful in our pursuit of truth not to quickly dismiss those who are going to land on a slightly different place than us. Out of our devotion to God, out of our pursuit of the truth, we'll find God in it. We don't need to be afraid of truth pulling us away from God because he is truth. Would you pray with me? God, you are creator of all things. You are the one who made the stars. You spoke creation into existence. There are all kinds of ways where we try to make sense of that. There are all kinds of ways where we can disagree and argue about the mechanisms. There are a lot of ways where we're sometimes afraid to say, this, this is my conviction about this. But God, we know that you are true. That we don't need to be afraid. That your creation is revealing your glory. And so as we discover more about your creation, it'll point us back to the one who created all things. God, I thank you that you have chosen to specifically reveal yourself to us in the writings of Scripture. That Spirit, you spoke through the writings of of people over thousands of years. That this has been handed down to us in a way where we can read and know that you are speaking and trust it. Spirit, would you speak today. I pray that through your word, through our time this morning, that you would have said what you want to say. That you would speak to our hearts, that you might even comfort fears. That you would spark curiosity. 
that you would develop further conversations where we can see how you are the author of truth. May we not be afraid. May we not fear. But might we find comfort in knowing that you are the one who created. You are truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand. We're going to sing together.